you for tuning in to the Bully Pew Podcast, coming to you from Protestia.com. I love the troublemakers that work here and minister here, as well as, of course, our wonderful and intrepid patron supporters who, for only $5.95 a month and up, there are some supporting us on a even a greater level than that, but they are financially supporting us and making sure that this program can get out onto the interwebs on a... Well, I guess a, a reasonably regular basis. Um, I usually record the program on Thursday. Today is actually Monday. Recording this program on Monday, the 18th of September, 2023. I want to give a shout out to my my dad, who is turning 69 this year. I don't think he listens to the Bully Pew podcast. He's uh he's kind of a he's a young boomer, so he's not real like, you know, super tech savvy or something like that. Um sometimes he'll catch what we do on on YouTube or things like that that drop on the TV. I'm pretty sure he's not like a big podcast fan. So he probably won't hear this, but happy birthday to the uh to the man who has been the biggest uh male role model and influence and most important role model and influence in my life. Um, and yep, I'm going to, I'm going to say that to him in person here shortly when I get to my destination. Um, but I wanted to, uh, get back on the mic on the bully pew mic and talk about something, uh, that's kind of been occupying a lot of my mental space, I guess, or a lot of the, a lot of the attention that I'm trying to put into study and discernment and figuring out kind of what's going on out there in the larger, broader Christian conversation um, and I figured, why not just uh, why not just talk about it with you fine folks as I'm driving and working my way to my destination today. And since since I missed last Thursday anyway, this is a chance to kind of catch up and maybe get some get some starting thoughts put out there for for where we're going with this. And it shouldn't be any surprise to those of you that have been listening or reading um, Protestia for some time, but the. The issue on my mind is that the the current debate that's happening right now in reformed evangelicalism um, over the issue, and I, I, I hesitate to almost call it an issue at this point, but the issue of Christian nationalism, um, and and again, I mean we're we're in that we're, we're in that gray area because the first thing people think if they're if they're honest, if they're honest believers, the first thing they think when they hear Christian nationalism is, is huh, like what is that? You know where, what, what, what is that that's different than what um, I have heard, taught, or promoted, um, or sort of solidified before? Is is this really something new? Is it is it just a new label that re- that restates something that we've always sort of believed and practiced? Um, is it does it represent some something missing from our worldview or our, our theology as biblically faithful Christians? Um, and, and my answer would be yes and no. Um, I'm, I, I am working on, as I, as I said, on the patron only version of Protestia tonight that went out last week. Uh, I am working on a kind of a follow-up article to the, to the case for Christian citizenship at Protestia to just not, not really to just give people the, the status on where things are, but also to, to make sure that the, that the theology is rightly defined. I mean, that's the most important thing for a discernment ministry. You know, you'll hear Protestia talked about as a discernment ministry or a polemics ministry, and those are related concepts, but they're not exactly the same, right? So discernment is the 
the the practice and sometimes I would argue uh, a spiritual gift given to certain people um, that goes above and beyond the normal kind of normal level of discernment we're all supposed to practice as Christians. Um, but discernment is being able to tell, being able to sort of see, and, and very often it's not, it's not just being able to tell overtly, oh, that's, that's very clearly a false teaching versus a true teaching biblically. I mean, yes, that is, that, that is, um, um, something that we're all supposed to be able to do by applying, um, the brains that God has given us with the text that he's given us and, and the, his word, um, you know, given to us in the Bible, we're all supposed to do that. But then there's a there's an additional um, kind of component to this, and we see this biblically, right? But there's an additional component to this that is being able to tell um, when when something is being taught and it's not, and and it's being changed terminologically, right? The the words have changed, or something like that. You know, that's 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 something that. Um, requires maybe an additional step of discernment because, you know, false teachers aren't wolves in wolves clothing. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? So they, they look like believers. They look like, they look like sheep. They dress like sheep. And, and in the rhetorical sense, they talk like sheep. They use Christian terminology. Um, they, they, uh, try to obfuscate what they're saying. They try to sort of generalize in a way that, that hides the specifics, um, in order to get you in. And then once you're in and you're kind of committed to it, that's when, I mean, and this is the same technique that's used by, by any sort of, you know, cultic group is there, there's a general terminology that sort of fools people and they let their guard down and they, they adopt it and then they're part of the group. And then, um, once they're dependent, once they're dependent on the group and, and, and we are supposed to be dependent on one each other, one uh, on one another as believers, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, but it's not supposed to ever, um, it's not supposed to ever supersede the truth, the, the what we believe, um, our doctrinal, uh, convictions are where we place our faith before the Lord. Um, and, but, but of course they, they test that. So a cult group or someone teaching falsely will get you committed committed to the identity, committed to a terminology, committed to a group, committed to a person, committed to a, uh, a group of people that, um, you identify with. And then when they start to actually, I, you know, expose or open up what they really believe, um, you can't walk away. Like, like you start to compromise because, because you don't want to lose the group, right? You don't want to, you don't want to lose, um, the identity and the family that you have. And, and that's, that's, that's all very human instinct. It's normal. It's a good instinct. It's a good, um, it's a good, it's a good thing, um, to, to, you know, realize and, and take to heart. Um, and yet at the same time, it's, it, it's, it's taken advantage of. So, so the false teacher knows that you're not going to, uh, want to lose your, your, your Christian family, uh, your, your, your local body of believers, um, sort of your identity there, your support system. And so that's, that's, that's why it has to be, they have to boil the frog slowly. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't just lead with the false doctrine, at least not clearly like, and, and so that pro- process of discernment very often or that gift of discernment can be the person that comes along and, and they see it. They can see the false doctrine down the road. The thing that's not being said overtly, even though it's there. 
and that that makes anybody with a gift of discernment very often the the subject of scorn or ridicule or anger by those that don't see it at the beginning and even when they see it down the road it's hard to admit that you got snookered it's hard to admit you got fooled um that that i mean it's the same thing going on right now with uh, what happened during COVID and everybody that they, they sort of fell for the general narrative. Um, and there were those of us at the beginning that said, that's not what this is. And not just that we had some sort of a, um, some sort of a magical insight. Um, but we applied, we applied logic and we applied skepticism, proper skepticism against government organizations. And we followed the money and we, we came to conclusions that now everybody is coming to, they're becoming the normal conclusions. Um, and yet at the time we were, we were, um, persecuted in some ways, you know, and, and, and those that didn't see it now are having a really hard time letting that go because they, they can't admit that they got fooled as badly as they did. Actually a pretty good example of this that, that, um, I guess happened just, just today, maybe might be just today, but at, at world world magazine, Al, Al Mohler writes at world magazine and he, he put up an article, <clears throat> or they, they published an article from him basically talking about how the train has left the station on Andy Stanley, and, and you know, we sort of saw this pattern for a while, but now he's really, you know, I guess, and Al Mohler didn't say this, but I'll say it, he's coming out of the closet as, as somebody who is, you know, LGBTQ affirming with this conference they're doing and all of this, and of course, those of us that, you know, that uh, do discernment ministry or uh, take advantage of the um, you know, Protestia and other similar, similar websites. Like, yeah, dude, we know about Andy Stanley. We, we've, this, this, we've, 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 uh, made this very clear. I guess Andy Stanley and North Point have made this very clear for a long time where they're really going on this issue and, um, what their position is going to be. Um, but Al and, and the more, you know, respectable public theologians out there, They'll, they'll wait until there, there are a few, you know, online discernment ministers or other voices out there that are shot full of arrows and accusations from fellow believers. And, you know, you don't, you're, you're, you're judging and, you know, did you, did you, uh, rebuke Andy Stanley privately before you judged him on the internet and all this kind of thing. And they're, they're just, they're just shot full of holes. And then Al or some other respectable person will come in and say, uh, "Yeah, this is what the, this is what's going on with Andy Stanley," and and you know get the get the accolades of oh, oh, thank God Al Mohler is out there, um, you know, making the case, and and thank God there are there's still solid theologians out there doing this, you know, willing to say something. It's I mean it's the same pattern. It happens all the time, and it's you know that's what it is, and. You know, Jordan would always tell me, "Hey, we we got to realize our place in the ecosystem here, and that's not to be the the re, the respectable suit and tie guys." And um, and I agree, that's true. It's it's, but it still irritates me. <laughs> that, that that's kind of how it happens. Um, but and I'm not I'm not saying that to to make any sort of uh, specific comment about um, the Christian nationalism debate per se. Um, except to say that, uh, that in the process of, of doing discernment, discernment work, there's discernment, which is actually being able to see, uh, the stitches on the fastball, being able to see the error where, where others think that it's okay. And, and then there's polemics, which is actually arguing over it. 
debating it, right? Challenging those that say other things and doing, doing that, um, that work, that's polemics. And part of, part of the polemical work, of course, is being able to, uh, express your disagreement or express where somebody's got something wrong in a way that people can understand it. Um, there's no sense in doing, like, it's not polemically effective to argue against something truthfully if nobody can understand what you're saying, if you're talking over their heads or um, it's too complicated. So, um, and it's not always done perfectly, obviously. It's it's very often the the first response to something or the, the attempt to discuss an issue is done um, inartfully or incompletely or with, you know, stunted logic. Um, the, the arguments against... Um, something that may have problems with it, those arguments themselves have problems with them, and it's not the underlying theology necessarily that's wrong, but it's just not, it's not being argued very well. It's not being, the, the, the polemical uh, process is um, being shortchanged, I guess we'd say it that way. And I think there's, there's a lot of that going on on both sides of this debate right now, where, where both sides, um, as much as we can define them, have, have found it very difficult to, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to argue against an idea that's not solid. Um, because every time you'll make a point and say, Hey, Christian nationalism is problematic because of fill in the blank. Uh, it'll be very easy for someone who adopts the label or who has, has, um, taken the label for themselves to say, well, that's not what I mean. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not Christian nationalism. My definition is Christian nationalism. And then, and so we, we, we spend, a good amount of the time just arguing over the argument rather than arguing over the issues. And fortunately, it seems like lately, at least, I mean, and and I kind of wish it hadn't started with this, but that's okay. I mean, it's got to start with something. Um, the debating the issue of whether um, governments should enact blasphemy laws, at least we're, at least now we're talking about uh, an actual policy or, you know, something at the ground level. And granted, it's not the underlying theology yet, but hopefully it'll get there if we start talking about, if we start talking about actual application instead of talking about who's, who's not talking the way we want them to you know, arguing, arguing over the argument, debating over the debate, but we can actually start debating the issues, issues themselves, you know, whether that starts with a theology and works its way outward, or it starts with the, the application, the practical application and works its way back to the, the theology. Both of those are better than arguing over the argument. And so, uh, in, in that light, that's, that's really been my goal is to figure out, okay, what, what are the, what are the driving beliefs behind, um, both sides of this movement and where are they getting it right? Where are they getting it wrong? Um, always, uh, going back to scripture to figure out why, um, you know, where the stuff is sourced from, because it, it is a, um, it is two different things to just to throw out an example. It is two different things to say, um, God God command by his law, we are not to blaspheme. That is absolutely biblically true. It is one thing to say that, that we're not supposed to blaspheme. That's a sin. Um, we're not supposed to have, we're not supposed to worship idols. Also a sin. Um, you know, ba- basically, uh, what God would place legally on our worship, 
um, is is it's all as essential as the the rest of the moral law. It's one thing to say that and believe it and want to practice it, and another thing to say that we're going to give um, like a civil government uh, power to adjudicate that. And that's really where I think the rub is, um, because Christian nationalism has always been a uh, really a, a movement about how you know, what, what we should be doing as a nation, right? Obviously what we should be doing as a body politic, um, in response to being Christians in response to the truth of God's word, um, how exactly that should work itself out. And when we understand that the debate is about that, it's not about Christian nationalism. Isn't about what your church is doing as gathered worship practice, right? It's, it's not, it's not first and foremost about, um, the doctrinal particulars of your confession of faith, right? It's about how those things apply to how we're all going to live together as one country. You know, we're all, we, we, we have political and legal relationship to each other as countrymen. Um, you know, in this case, obviously as Americans, as citizens of the United States, how does our Christianity inform that? Um, what should we be advocating for as Christians with regard to what our government should do and be and look like? And that's really what it's about. And now once once we realize that, then we start to see the doctrinal particulars that, that and the differences between the sides of this debate that really are at the core of the debate. I've made the point for a long time now with uh, some of my Christian nationalist brothers uh, some of my friends here, the guys, this is, this is a movement that is, um, really it's, it's, it's eschatological in its, in its divide. I mean, it's, it is about, and, and the trick is I got, you know, premillennialists like myself who are Christian nationalists or who call themselves that, who don't want to, they don't want to admit that, um, post-millennialism and its extension theonomy are essential to a lot of the arguments that are being made in the Christian nationalism camp about the allowability of the civil magistrate to insert themselves into, um, into really what is worship, um, and the, the particulars of worship practice. Um, if you're going to say that a civil government, that a, a civil ruler and it, we, we can't forget, by the way, as I, as I start talking civil ruler and civil magistrate, we can't forget the system that we have in place in this country, which I would argue is a blessing of God that we got this uh, as close to right as we did. Um, but our system is not a system where, um, where the sword is, is applied or where, where governmental power is supposed to be applied based off of um, somebody's birthright or based off of, you know, based off of their inherent superiority, um, over anybody else. You know, in, in, in the United States of America, we are supposed to be as much as we don't get this right all the time, as much as it's an imperfect expression, we're supposed to be a government by the people for the people, um, where there is equality among, among, um, the people in this country the citizenry has an equality before the law. Um, that's important because when, when scripture starts to describe in Romans 13, first Peter two submission to governing authorities, um, that doesn't mean submission to, to, um, 
anybody who says they're an authority. It doesn't mean submission to anybody who holds a, a, a position in the government. Um, it means submission to um, the authority in our system, which is the law. We are a nation of laws, not a, not a nation of men. Now, where uh, our government leaders are, um, they are uh, taking responsibility to execute the laws of the country, not making up their own laws. It's 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 really in 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 a lot of ways it's a um, in a civil context anyway it's a shepherding duty they're they're supposed to they're supposed to uh, take care of the system take care of the the principles and um, and this the supreme law of the land while they're in that office and then God willing move on and do something else and let somebody else come in there and and you know carry that torch for a little while that's how it's supposed to be and so in our system we can't we, when we're talking about civil magistrate we can't forget that component the component of of um who who our governing authorities are because it's not just you know it's not joe biden he's the president of the united states but he's not the king of the united states he's supposed to execute he's the chief executive of the um executive branch of government the law enforcement branch of government, right? They're supposed to execute the laws on the books. They're not supposed to make them up. So, so any random thing that Joe Biden says doesn't, I mean, as a citizen of the United States, I don't have to follow that just because he's the president. I would follow it in the, in the case of where it's legal and where I'm required to do something by law, but not because he said it. He's just supposed to say things that are in accordance with the law. And then, and then that wouldn't be a conflict. So, um, but, but to get back to talk, talking about the civil magistrate, the, the differences here, and I, and I think the, the, the first thing that has to be worked out before the debate goes any further is where, where are there jurisdictional limits biblically on the magistrate as it relates to um, expression, as it relates to uh, the practice of worship, true worship, false worship, um, what is worship versus what is um, the the treatment of people versus each other because those are two different things if you look at the ten commandments you look at the moral law in scripture generally speaking we would describe the first table as um, commandments that uh, require us to uh, in the in the way that we relate to God and the second table be the way that we relate to each other so things like um, you'll have no other gods before me you know um, the the moral law against idolatry Right, that's very much a how how we relate to God, and and the thing is that that law in and of itself requires application. It doesn't it doesn't stand on its own definitionally, and so if somebody says, "Well, you're supposed to worship God um, and God alone. You only worship God. You don't worship idols," that's true. But two people could say that and believe they're holding to it and be doing totally different things. One person could be worshiping truly and one person could be worshiping falsely and both claiming to be holding to that first commandment. And when we talk about something like blasphemy, that's, that's important that we figure that out because blasphemy to one belief system is different than blasphemy to another belief system. So we, we, while we can say, well, we can say with credibility that it is wrong to blaspheme God, and we might even say that that deserves punishment, and it does. It's a sin. Um, we 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 have to be very 
uh, careful to say, okay, but who's the adjudicator of blasphemy? Who gets to determine what that is? Um, because depending on your, depending on your convictions, depending on what you believe, and really even within, within the scope of, I would argue, Orthodox Christianity, that can vary slightly. And if we're talking about giving the civil magistrate who, who bears the sword, right, they, they have um, the ability and the call to put people in jail, to take away their stuff, um, to, to potentially kill them, to potentially execute them for certain crimes. We're, we're going to give the, the institution with, with that God-ordained ability the authorization to... to um, uh, to to adjudicate our worship, to 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 decide what is proper worship of God versus not proper worship of God, and then apply the sword in in that process. That's that's a, a very dangerous, potentially dangerous proposition. And the fact that we're talking about blasphemy laws now really that that really at least makes this issue brings that issue to the fore. Because it's not really about the disagreement between camps. It's not really about the validity of God's moral law. It's not about one side saying, no, God's moral law is, is, is everlasting. It, it continues. It, it, it transcends culture and it transcends time. It transcends um, situation and circumstance. And the other side saying that it doesn't. No, it, like it no longer applies. It's not like the, the, the classical liberal uh, you know, uh, Christians out there who are saying, um, no, it's okay to blaspheme or it's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. that we shouldn't have any law. We're not, nobody's saying that. You know? I, said, I said we're not saying that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not placing myself in that camp fully because I think they've got some issues as well. Um, but certainly in, in terms of the the civil government, um, I tend to side more with the classical liberal side of this because I don't believe and I'm, I'm unwilling to um, submit my worship or my family's worship. I'm unwilling to submit those things to a sinner with a sword. I'll just put it straight out there. That's, that's my concern with this. But I think that that, that is at the core of the, of the debate is where are the are there jurisdictional boundaries that God has ordained in scripture for civil magistrate, for the church, for the family? If those jurisdictional boundaries exist, um, then who, who gets to judge what? Who gets to judicially uh, um, apply God's law in, in each of these circumstances? That's, that's really where we're at. And so in, in terms of a good the, the Christian nationalist argument, it, it basically, in a lot of ways, boils down to well, because um, Christ is Lord, ruling, uh, you know, all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. Um, because of that, there isn't any problem at all with um, God's law being adjudicated at every jurisdictional point that we're able to get it done. So, like, in your family, you should be, you know, as a, as a man leading your family, um, as the head of your, your household, the head of your marriage, um, you should be um, applying God's moral law judicially within the scope of the family. And within the church, we apply um, all of God's law as well. Um, we have church discipline. Um, we, we adjudicate doctrine. We, we um, 
rebuke one another when it's necessary. We we apply the law within the church context, and then the civil magistrates and the in the national context and then in the broader um, political context, I guess you could say, uh, because God is is uh, all authority has been given to him. We ha- we see no problem with um, with adjudicating um, God's moral law in its entirety in the national context. And that's really where the, where the debate is right now. So we would, you would have no problem with the civil magistrate, um, um, applying penalties, um, to blasphemy, to uh, you, you violated the 10 commandments. You blasphemed God. Um, you, you taught heresy, you taught false doctrine, you taught false religion, and we are going to uh, ban that by power of the sword, by power of the civil magistrate. That's, that's where we wind up, um, and that's where the, that's where the sort of the, um, the hot area of the conversation is right now. Of course, the problem you get with that is um, we don't all agree on what true doctrine is. And not just in terms of of the larger I identify as a Christian scope, but even the the doctrinal particulars themselves. Um, if it, you wind up with uh, um, you wind up with uh, you know somebody saying I I ha- we have the power of the sword, and we believe that we should be uh, baptizing babies, and that if you bapt- you do believers baptism, immersion believers baptism. Um, that's that's blasphemy. That's false religion. You're practicing falsely, and now we have the ability to uh, punish you um, civilly for doing that. I mean, that's the the, the Puritans, you know, did this, um, you know, back in the day in the, in the you know colonial period. Um, it, it's not like it was common or something, but there was certainly um, the the power of the civil magistrate being being used against those who practiced Christianity differently than them. And this isn't so much a, a content question. Well, you know, which, which mode of baptism is biblically correct? It's a context question. So it's not, it's not which mode of baptism is, is correct biblically. It's who gets to judge that and who gets to, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, dish out consequences, I suppose, for not doing, not, not exercising the religion properly. And I, I argue that I'm not a, I'm obviously I'm a premillennialist. I'm not a postmillennialist. And so I take very seriously the, the biblical understanding that, um, that this is an evil age, as Paul said, that, um, that, that Satan has still um, is still allowed dominion over this earth. It's still a broken and fallen uh, an earth, and that Christ's uh, statement that all power, um, all authority has been given to me on heaven and, and, and earth, is true. And yet, it will be upon His second coming that He will establish a a present judicial uh, rule um, in in a in a civil magistrate kind of context. So if his kingdom is not of this world, the church is being built um, despite the evils of this world, and really it, it is a kingdom not of this world. We are residents both of this new spiritual kingdom as, as adopted sons and daughters of the Almighty, yet we're still um, residents, we're sojourners at this point. You know, we, This world isn't our home, 
And yet, as we sojourn through and we are given um, the opportunity, we advance God's righteousness every every place that we can, while understanding that we we still live in a fallen and broken world. I don't believe, of course, as a premillennialist, I don't believe that the kingdom of God is progressively being developed by the you know, albeit very slow, apparently, Christianization of all institutions of the world, at which point at the end of that, God will, you know, then Christ will be able to return. And that gets to the core of the, of the Christian nationalist debate, because if you believe that, um, that the world is slowly or must slowly be Christianized, that the church will advance on the godless world to the point where, um, the kingdom comes to earth you know, slowly based off of um, God using us to build it before Christ comes back, then you really don't have any problem because the, the civil magistrate, we, we, and we all agree on this, the civil magistrate will eventually be um, uh, a theocracy. It'll be a rule by Christ himself. It'll be a theocracy on earth. We, we all agree that that's where it's going. But if you believe that that's progressively being developed by the church over, over time, then you have no problem with seizing the civil magistrate or or uh, Christianizing your nation in a judicial sense and banning um, false religious expression and banning you know blasphemy, um, as we would all agree that it is um, on a judicial, uh, like on it you know with the sword. So so as the as the kingdom of God is created and and it, as it comes to fruition. Um, what 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 they might call the the great post millennial hope it comes to fruition. There will be a point. I mean, there has to be, right? There 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 will be a point where um, civilly or perhaps spiritually or some combination thereof, there will be a point at which um, the world is more Christian than not, right? There'll be a you know Jesus taught a wide gate and a narrow gate and he also taught that there would be many who claim the name of Christ who weren't believers but if you believe that the kingdom of God is progressively being developed on earth there has to be some point where that changes where that flips the wide gate and the narrow gate flip and that'll either be i mean i guess you could argue that will either be a you know a point where there are actually more rege- truly regenerate believers than there are unbelievers or at the very least, they all act like believers. There's a there's a civil uh, benefit, right? There's a there's a general equity benefit of God's righteousness, and a lot of people, a lot of people apparently, in the Matthew seven twenty one context, a lot of people claiming Christ that don't have Him, um, but the world looks Christianized. The world looks, you know, it looks like it's now um, becoming the kingdom of God. Now, I, I think any um, any any committed and theologically serious a post-millennialist friend of mine, a brother of mine, would would have to say that no, this is going to be a true spiritual change. This, it's not just going to be fake Christianity. It's going to be it's going to be actual um, Christian civil rule, Christian civil identity, um, national identity, even even eventually global identity, um, based off of real regeneration. Um, but this is this is why you'll find um, a lot of um, Christian nationalist folks not seeing not not really seeing a problem with blasphemy laws or with the erosion of individual liberty because they they don't see the age that we're in and where we're going the same way that a premillennialist does. That's why they say, well, you have pessimistic eschatology. You don't you 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 don't think that. Um, 
that that Christ's rule will be effective, which is that's that's not true. We just don't think Christ's rule is judicially uh, begins until he returns. And we look all around us to see to see the evidence of this, um, which which ironically, ironically, a lot of the a lot of the folks that say, "Hey, well, you're not you're not on our side. You're not. You, I mean, you're, you're you're not effective here. You're not you're not culture warriors the way that you should be." Um, they see the degradation around them as evidence, not that um, not that premillennialism is is uh, wrong, not that postmillennialism is correct. But they see it as the evidence that premillennialists are like pietists and they won't fight, and they won't get in the fight because if if we all you know I guess became the culture warriors that they wanted us to be and fought with them, um, then the, then then we would start to take ground on the world, take ground on the culture as Christians. Um, I, I I find it a little bit ironic because I don't believe I I mean I I think that God will uh, His will will come to pass um, with or without us. It's not dependent on my obedience any more than my salvation is dependent on my obedience. Um, it is it is by the will of God, and so th- there's a pragmatic element to all of this. That we're, I mean we're not gonna have time to discuss it on this one because I'm 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 already at my destination here, so we're we're gonna be wrapping this up. Um, but, but suffice to say, I know I've said a lot of things and sort of, you know, sort of been a little bit all over the place, but suffice to say, this is the, this is the nature of the debate, ladies and gentlemen, it is not, it is not about, um, you know, those willing to culture war versus those who are just going to like hunker down in their churches and wait for the rapture. It's not really what it's about. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the more honest folks will, will claim that that that's what it's about. Um, but it's really more about, uh, and from a theological application sense, it's more about what are your jurisdictional boundaries, who's supposed to be in charge of what. And for the, for the post-millennialists, they'll say, well, we're okay with the civil magistrate being, uh, wielding the sword to, um, enforce the entirety of God's moral law, because at some point, um, and certainly if we're able to bring this to, to, to bear, it will be sooner rather than later, but at some point the civil magistrate will be explicitly Christian, because that's the that's the direction of the church age prior to Christ's coming. Right? The, they they don't believe that the millennial reign of Christ is after his return. They believe it's happening right now, and that it's not really like a literal thousand years. That it's a it's a long period of time. We're not sure how long, but that the reign of Christ is happening right now, and his kingdom is slowly. Uh, being built and coming, you know, as far as as far as a uh, judicial rule on earth of Christ, that it's slowly coming to to it's slowly being built, and we got to get we got to get busy and help it be built. Um, and that so that that's why they that that's why they um, they see such an active role of believers in 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 civil governance, and and I mean you guys know I'm not against. Christians being involved in politics and pushing for righteous laws, we we should do that. We should do that. But it's not it's not because I think that Christ needs me to build his kingdom prior to his coming. It's the 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 difference will be um, world changing upon Christ's second coming. He's not just coming to take a victory lap after we've built it for him, or after he's built it slowly and progressively through our faithfulness and our work. Um, and that's really what the difference is. So, I mean, I got, you know, folks that will listen to this who are, who are post-millennial and may, they might take issue with some of my characterization. 
of of the position but this is why i mean it really this is why they they see no they see no problem with uh, wielding the sword for the entirety of god's moral law where a premillennialist like myself would say well well wait wait a minute we live in a fallen world i'm not giving you know the, there there is no indication biblically um, by my eschatology for sure that the the world is will slowly be christianized and of course they would say well that means you don't that means you don't have faith that jesus is working and like no i i believe that his second coming will usher in a very visible and literal and powerful and world world flipping uh change um as he establishes his judicial rule over the earth during the millennium that will happen it's not, it's not happening now and because just because God, because Christ said, "I all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth," that didn't change anything about Christ's authority. He was reiterating it, but he had authority before that. He will have authority after that, and by his, by biblical, uh, you know, revelatory prophecy, we can see how that's going to happen. So in the meantime, I'm not willing to give some other sinner a sword by which to get in between myself and my family and our worship of God. Not willing to do that. He can get, and the Bible commissions him to be involved in my treatment of other people. Um, you know, it's, if, if I murder somebody or I steal from somebody or I, I defame somebody or something, there is a role for the magistrate to be involved in that. You know, that's, that's the, 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 the commission that we see for, uh, civil authorities, governing authorities in Romans 3, 13, Romans, Romans 13 and first Peter two, but it is not to decide what it, what is and isn't blasphemy, what is and isn't appropriate worship practice for myself and my family. And I'm not willing to give, like I said, some other sinner that role. That's very, that's very hierarchical. You know, there is not. We, we are all equal before the cross, right? We, and, and none of us can um, um, do anything other than correct one another. And in the church and in the family, there's, it's a different context. But as far as a nation goes, um, no, it's not. I, I take very seriously the, the government staying in its lane and staying out of um, adjudicating what is and isn't proper worship. So more to come. We're going to keep discussing this, but I got to run for now. Thank you for listening to the Bully Pew Podcast. Uh, stay tuned to protestia.com for all of your latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. I'll talk to you next time. As always, Semper Reformanda.